And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Today's Monday, March 21st. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tyson. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm very happy. We pushed this back maybe, what, an hour? And then we have enough time to not only have a trade that we get to talk about, and then also the <laughs> ramifications of that trade because other moves happen, as opposed to what usually happens for you, what, 35 minutes into each show? Usually something happens. Or so. 35 minutes after we're done recording. Or 35 minutes too. So Yeah, it's we, we had up. a plan for today. We had a plan for today. It was going to kind of be the post-free agency rush start of our off-season coverage. And then, of course, the Matt Ryan trade happens this morning. So just take a lighter and, and torch that plan, and let's start over here. And let's dig into the Matt Ryan conversation. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the other news, odds and ends that came down over the weekend since we last recorded. <laughs> the place where we work <laughs> dropped a bombshell story today oh on God. Urban Meyer that I want to talk about because we actually were going to talk about the Jags a little bit last week, and the news kept pouring in. So I want to get into that conversation and talk a little bit about what the post-Urban Meyer world might look like for Jacksonville. But let's start with the Matt Ryan trade to the Colts. Credit to you. Last week, or two weeks ago now, I have no idea why. It would would have been two weeks ago when the Carson Wentz trade happened, about a week and a half ago. You, I listened to it this morning, you said, is Matt Ryan tradable? When you were thinking about the Colts' options, and it made total sense from a lot of different levels. They needed a stopgap option. He was arguably the best immediate fit on the board in terms of what you could get out of him in 2022. What year is it? It's 2022. 2022. <laughs> what you could get out of him in 2022. It's been a week, man. I get it. What you could get out of him in 2022, what you'd have to give up to get him. It's $24 million. Yeah. When you put the base salary and the roster bonus together, the, the roster bonus that they push back that ultimately was due today. So on a lot of different levels, like that's a fit there. Even if it's a short-term fit, that is a fit there. And that's ultimately what ends up happening. Yeah, then we'll see if they do Teron Armstead, which would be my other dream move for them. But I, th- <laughs> I, th- I think you're. I think that that is a fantasy. That's, that's my not real pie true, in the friend. sky. Yeah, the other one was what, like a, an Oreo in the sky. That Teron Armstead, there's a pie <laughs> in the sky. Yeah, it, it just makes total sense. I mean, it, it's maybe it's a lack of imagination seeing what what they've been going through. They did the river stuff, and I was like, you know, they obviously they want to vet. They'd have no first round pick. It's a wide open division. What the hell could they do with it? So I, I'm kind of like, I, I it made a ton of sense. I'm kind of happy that it came out to this bit or it came out this way. And I'm excited to see it. I'm really excited to see number two back there for the quarter, uh, playing quarterback there. A different number two than, <laughs> than maybe before. Number two is available. Two in, is in available. It became available very soon uh, or very uh, recently. I, I like the fit just even on the offensive stuff, like with, with Matt Ryan there, being able to operate from under center more, more of a traditional attack. Um, that's going to unlock so much, even with Jonathan Taylor, who was the best running back in football last year. Now he gets unlocked even more. And I, I just like that. I, I really do. And I know that's running the ball, but just as far of a stylistic fit, it makes sense because Matt likes being under center as well. So I, I, I just, there's a lot to this trade that I like. I, I can get into some Jonathan Taylor stats. I've juiced up for this, but I want to hear what you want to say about it too. So let's talk about just the, the overall musical chairs yeah. aspect of this. So when you think about where the Colts were coming into this offseason, they yeah. were hell bent on getting rid of Carson Wentz. They <laughs> did that. They got two third round picks, and the, Carson Wentz will cost them nothing on the yeah. cap this year. They got $28 million of Carson Wentz off the books. That was a mess of their own making. Yeah. They don't deserve a ton of credit for recouping value from Carson Wentz. They gave up their first round pick this year and a pick last year to go get Carson Wentz. When you look at the trading compensation, they gave up in the Wentz deal and they got back. Ultimately, they traded like the 18th or 19th pick in the 2022 draft for Carson Wentz. That's a lot. That's yes. a lot to give up. But when you, <laughs> that's done. <laughs> we were living in that world. How do you try to fix it? I think this outcome is pretty darn good yeah. when you consider the alternatives, okay? They swap Wentz for two third-round picks. So in the end of this, the Colts ultimately traded Carson Wentz for Matt Ryan, $5 million in 2022 cap space, and a conditional third-round pick in 2023. 
you do that deal 100 times out of 100, don't you? Absolutely. It it, it makes sense. It's such an upgrade. I mean, it's, it's, yes, I actually like upgrade on a football level. What about the other stuff? Yeah. Just the headaches. Having Matt Ryan in the building where you are as a franchise, it's the same arguments for going to get Phillip Rivers a couple years ago. And that's the, I made a joke about this on Twitter today that it feels inevitable that they're going to do this. They're going to be pretty good. Matt Ryan's going to be pretty good. We like Frank Reich as an offensive coach. They have a couple pieces. It's a good infrastructure. The organization's been really solid on offense over the last three or four years. They're going to win 10-ish games, maybe win the division, give somebody a little bit of a scare in the wild card round, maybe lose. Like, oh man, the Colts, they got a good thing going over there, the Colts. And then after the season, Matt Ryan's like, you know what? I'm 37. It's been a good run. I've made $300 million playing football. I, I appreciate you guys. I'm out of here. And then we're going to have the same conversation again. That's, I hope not. It's not even a stretch that that could happen. But what are you going to do if you're the Colts? Yeah. Are you going to take a step back? Do you going to go take a swing for a younger quarterback? This seemed like of all the alternatives, one that made sense, even if that possibility and having to do this again yeah. might be on the horizon in a year. It I was, totally understand wanting to go this direction it's and not a, having to pay a lot to do it. It's such a weird thing. It's almost like Matt Ryan blended what they did the last two years of Wentz and, and Phillip Rivers. <laughs> they got the vet, but they're going to compete in the division. I don't know. It's like a weird blending of ideas. They were kind of like honed in. They're like, okay, I guarantee you once it's all said and done, they're like, okay, I'm tired of all these vets. I'm going to draft. I'm telling you, it, it reminds me of the late 90s Vikings so much going Brad Warren Moon to Brad Johnson to freaking Randall Cunningham to Jeff George. And finally, these are all one-year guys. And they finally were just like, okay, draft Dante Culpepper. Like, we just <laughs> – we got to get our guy of the future. And it feels like that's what's going to end the end game for all this with the Colts, whether it's next year or two years from now or whether they grow a guy with Matt going into his second year. Who who knows? But it's – this is the this is the new door that they're going down, the new path that they're going down. And Matt Ryan's still, I think, an above-average to good quarterback. He carried that – He had some freaking, good moments last year in a really shitty situation. Team. Yes, Remember the yeah, Bills he had some game? good moments in a rough situation last year. That offensive line was nightmarish. He had very few receiving options yep. on the outside, outside of Kyle Pitts. Yep. Remember that game he had against the Bucks, where yep. we were freaking out about how well he played? Yep. If you put him in a better situation, I totally understand being able to talk yourself into a better version of Matt Ryan. Yes. So the ideal outcome here, if you're the Colts, in my opinion, okay, what is left on his deal, which I, by all accounts they are not touching, is essentially two years and 50 million bucks. Mm-hmm. More than palatable mm-hmm. for a short-term starter. Essentially what Brady got <laughs> okay. from the Bucks, which is hilarious, <laughs> by the yes. way. God. This is what Brady got for the Bucks as Matt Ry- or Matt Stafford gets his $40 million a year extension. The Bucks getting Brady for that is insane. Okay? So if that's the deal, if it's a two-year $50 million deal, he'll, he'll be 37 in May. Ideally, you get him for two years. Mm-hmm. right? You get him for this year and next year at that price. That does not preclude you at all from making a play for your quarterback next year. Correct. When you have that extra second round pick potentially from Washington, you've got some ammunition. Can we go get a guy Mm -hmm. and say, all right, we don't have to play him right away. We have Matt Ryan in 2023. This now becomes our long-term plan. I think if that's how it ultimately fell for Indianapolis, that would be the best case scenario. I agree. And I, I, it's basically doing with Matt Ryan, what we want the Falcons to do with, <laughs> a quarterback last year. I mean, basically, that's kind of the same situation. And I do okay. want to talk about that. Yeah. I think it's easy to say, well, man, they should have taken that quarterback yeah. last year. But I think there's a lot to take into account as we have that conversation. Before we do that, I, I want to talk about just the, where the Colts sit now. Okay? okay. Okay. So obviously, in the division with Matt Ryan, they might be the best team in the division, even I with Matt so. Ryan. I mean, the, the Titans are still a good team mm-hmm. that we they've made some moves. We can get to those a little bit later in the show, whether it's Robert Woods or going to get Austin Hooper. I mean, I think the Titans are still a solid team. But with Matt Ryan, this Colts team is, is pretty intriguing. Mm-hmm. They still have needs, though. Mm-hmm. They still need a left tackle. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what how that ultimately gets filled. It just it feels almost inevitable that they just bring Eric Fisher back on like an eight million dollar right. a year deal. What they're doing is they're waiting out the value. Yeah. Like that's what they're doing. They're gonna sit there. Chris Ballard has the the resting heart rate of like a ninety five year old tortoise. <laughs> it both good and bad. It, it serves him at times, and I think that it's often bites him at times. Yeah. And in these moments, it has served him. If they can go it get has. a starting left tackle on the cheap, whether it's Dwayne Brown or bring back Fisher, even though he wasn't very good last year, they're gonna try to find value there. Even the Matt Ryan thing is value. They gave up less for Carson Wentz or for Matt Ryan than Washington paid for Carson Wentz. And that's a product 
of this team just sitting there being like, I'm not going to overpay for anybody. The Carson Wentz trade from last year, that's the outlier of how this team does business. This stretch of moves is back to what we expect from them. Again, both good and bad. Yeah. There are benefits to it, but there are also drawbacks to it. Absolutely. And that that's what's so so funny about him is that I love how you compared him to a 97 year old tortoise. That's, That's what it is. <laughs> it was like last year they felt a little, they had a little coffee and they're like, Oh, we, they jolted awake and decided just, you know, they did a move and it was, I think Frank got a little overexcited. I, I think, think so too. He was like, we're a step away. Let's get our guy. Yeah. The hair, the hair went out there. I, I love the stylistic fit. I think you nailed on the head. They still need to tackle. Of course, they're going to have other O-line movement that they'll, they'll need. I think receiver-wise, they need a speed guy, need a number one. Like They just they still Listen, need to add something there. Will Fuller for $7 million bucks. That's, I'm telling you, that's what they're that's they're just sitting here and, waiting. And it makes They're the guy sense. at the end of the fantasy draft that has like all his money left over and hasn't gotten any players and can just pick off guys for whatever he wants. That's what they can be right now if they want to. Four ro- roster spots left and he has $44 and everybody that's else what is it paying a like. dollar. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it feels what it's like. like. It, tr- other teams are trying to get Will Fuller for a buck and they're like, all right, I'll give him four. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's whatever. <laughs> and, and it's when the auction just ends right away. Like, just do That's it. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Uh, MVS would be too rich for my blood. They also. Oh, yeah, that's, that's and, not going to out of that. But also the second and third rounds, there's great potential there. There's tons and yeah. tons. There's ton- I can't reiterate enough. There's tons of receiver talent in this draft. Like, and we'll talk about the Jags in a sec about that. I also just want to talk about the stylistic fit. I already hinted, hinted yeah, at yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear what you think about yeah, that. Yeah. And Jonathan Taylor, even this happened at Wisconsin, was he's better from under center. He's a tr- traditional old school back. Wisconsin even went to the pistol more so he can stay like almost eye formation more. You know, that's what the pistol does. It lets running backs be downhill when, on their run game as opposed to side to side, uh, which is something I yell at the Chiefs for doing all the time with the running backs, but that's a story for another time. But with Jonathan Taylor last year, under center rushes, 5.7 yards per under center rush. That's second in the NFL behind Rashad Penny. He also had like 200 more carries than Rashad Penny from under center. Uh, 23 total EPA. That was easily number one. 46% success rate. And this is all from True Media. Shotgun rushes, five yards per rush. So almost a 0.7 yards different. I know that's a basic stat. Only 2.48 total EPA from shotgun rushes and 43% success rate. He's just a better running back from those under center looks. Matt Ryan is extremely comfortable being under center. Also, this is kind of like the flip side of it. Now, Frank Reich is going to have to do all those RPOs that he wanted to do with Carson Wentz because that's what Carson Wentz likes to do. That's like what his, what there's, there's a game I want to say it was against the Bucks as well which we talked about before, there's the famous clip by Quentin Nelson said like, hey, enough with the RPOs, just give the ball to 28, get him going. Yeah, That was because they called the RPOs and sometimes they handed it off, but sometimes Carson Wentz, because that's what the read was giving him, was throwing the little stick routes. And all of a sudden the Bucks dropped into it and they covered it like twice in a row. Now, if you're becoming just a traditional run, traditional play action, traditional drop back, just a traditional offense, sprinkling the RPOs once in a while, but now you don't have to major in them, it just unlocks your best asset, which is Jonathan Taylor. It just, I think the blending of styles makes a lot of sense as well. So I, that's something I'm really looking forward to. And I think also is that with Ryan Kelly at center, Quentin Nelson, like, you know, we've got those top two, those top two guys, of course, they're going to have to figure out the tackle situation, but having those guys is Matt Ryan's gotten used to playing behind some shitty offensive lines. 100%. And you got Braden Smith at right tackle. It's and the Braden makings Smith. of a solid line. They need a stopgap starter at left tackle, but, but it most outcomes, the offensive line is a plus for this it's team. A, it's 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 one of the better lines he's ever worked behind. And he has yes. a center that he, this is probably the center he's going to trust the most since he's played behind Alex Mack. Like yeah. it's like now they're, that's going to actually help all of them as far as mentally at protection wise, they're going to be great because they have two guys that can really handle it. So I think that's going to have a boon. Even just maybe it's like, oh, it's not, whatever they do at left tackle. But I think as a whole, the whole unit will be a step better when they do the drop back stuff, just because mentally they'll be so much sharper. We, uh, I have a contractual obligation to mention that Zach Pascal signed with the Eagles. So <sighs> he's, a, he's out of the equation here, which is sad. RIP. To, to our Zach Pascal Colts love. So, it's, it was really, really Someone enjoyable. on Twitter asked, said, uh, I'm an Eagles fan. Is this guy a good run blocker? Because I know we're going to have to need him. And I was like, <laughs> boy, is he? I cracked my knuckles, sent him like three clips. And I was like, I don't even know who this guy is. But I was like, oh, no, I have plenty of Zach Pascal blocking clips uh, to show you. I am so interested in what the conversation between Frank Reich and, Car- and Matt Ryan is going to look like here. Because this is a conversation he's had to have every single spring for the last four or five years, right? Yep. I mean, that process of having to retailer your offense to your quarterback every single year 
is really it's hard. exhausting. <laughs> when I'm talking about why I like Frank Reich as a coach and why I think he's a pretty good one, the fact that they've been a borderline top 10 offense every year with all these guys outside of the Jacoby Percet year, it's really hard to do that. Yeah. So what, and at least with Carson Wentz, he has a ton of familiarity. Press Taylor, who was there with them last year and now is in Jacksonville, had a ton of familiarity with Carson Wentz. There's background, there's history. Now they're starting over again. Mm-hmm. And I have faith that they can make it work, but that's going to be a process. That, I mean, that's going to be a dialogue that probably starts today. You know, it, it is going to be nonstop and it's going to need to be because if they're going to get this thing up to speed, hopefully by early in the season, I mean, you've watched them over the last few years. It's taken time every year. Think about the first four or five weeks of the Rivers experience. It wasn't great, and they ultimately were a top 10 sort of unit. They were dead in the water last year Mm -hmm. and looked pretty darn good in the middle stretch of the season after everyone got comfortable. So are we in for another slow start? What does that ultimately look like? I mean, these are the questions worth asking, but when you're a team like the Colts that is halfway toward being a contender, this is the only direction you can push it. Yeah, You, You can't bring it all the way back to the start this is the right middle ground. Ultimately, the Wentz trade is a failure. Yeah. But to move on this quickly and for it to only cost you one year and one first-round pick and to get Matt Ryan for less than you, you have an asset in hand and you're paying $5 million less than what you're going to give Carson Wentz, that to me is a win, even if this was a mess of their own making. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that I can't add to that at all. That's exactly how it is. Is Yes. Did they create their own shit pile? <laughs> yes, they did. But guess what? They came out of it. They got out of it. Yeah. They didn't double down on the mistake. 100%. Frank, the, the hardest thing they had to do was Frank Reich apologize to the owner. Like, I think <laughs> really, that was that was probably tough. And But hey, they came out of it. They have... It's a new path that actually makes sense for where they're at. Like, as opposed to the Wentz stuff was like, okay, we failed. But it's like, at least this all makes sense. So I don't know. It's definitely a win. All right. Let's talk about this from the Falcons perspective. Okay. This feels to me like kind of a way to just do Matt Ryan a solid on his way out the door. Yeah. I mean, everything that happened with Deshaun Watson, them being in it. I mean, this is now just an open dialogue. It's all right. What do you want? Where do you want to go? And this is a great place. I think all things considered for Matt Ryan to land. They don't get a lot for him, but they weren't negotiating from a position of strength. No. I mean, this is getting anything for him at this stage with that contract, I think is totally fine. And if you look at it, I mean, they're in a really rough spot right now, but they were always going to be in a rough spot. In my opinion, there was no good path out of this for Atlanta. And we can get to the quarterback situation last year and what they ultimately decided. But I just think that this was always going to be a really, really painful process. And this is just a way to jumpstart that painful process. They finally ripped the bandaid off. That's yes. what it was. They had to do it at some point and they finally did it. And yeah, $40 million in dead cap, which is like how many A24 movies like that you could you could make for that <laughs> <laughs> like 10 i think you can make 10 lighthouses and, and i mean and it's a record it's an nfl record God. 40 million dollars in dead cap they save 7 million against their 8 million against the cap that 8 million is their cap space right now they had no cap space and they have no players no this was it was always going to be a multi-year thing yep right you have 60 million dollars in combined dead money this year for matt ryan and julio jones 60 million God. It, they they were looking at a multi-year rebuild yep no matter what they ended up doing with the Matt Ryan contract last year. They they ultimately had to restructure it just to have enough space to operate as an NFL franchise. And it was going to be a two-year thing, and this is the year where they're taking on all of the shit. There yep. was $60 million in dead money. We have nobody on the roster. And here's why I... You, we look. Let's look back at last year, okay? Mm. People, people are going to sit there and say, well, why wouldn't they do this last year? Why wouldn't they trade Matt Ryan and pick a quarterback at four? Because it was always going to be a multi-year thing. It was always going to be a multi-year process to just climb out from under this financial boulder. So let's say, for example, let's say you draft Justin Fields last year with the fourth overall pick. You get to this stage at this exact moment and you trade Matt Ryan this year. So now you're in the same financial position you were in. They have no money. Yeah, They have zero cap space. Their number one receiver right now is Olamide Zacchaeus. And Kyle Pitts, their offensive line is still bad. They have no resources to upgrade any of those positions. So now you'd be sitting here in year two, in 2022 of Justin Fields' time, without any sort of recourse to add pieces to the team to put around him. So now, by the time you get to year three of Justin Fields' contract, that's when you're going to have some flexibility to start putting this thing together. So what does that really do for you? I can understand not wanting to draft a quarterback and start the process last year, even if you were in a position to do it. Because guess what? Now, you have no players. You have a terrible football team. 
They signed Marcus Mariota to do a two-year deal. He's perfect bridge quarterback perfect. in this situation. Exactly what you bring in to oversee the shit show that this is going to be. So now next year, you're probably going to have a top five pick mm-hmm. in a draft that has multiple high-level quarterback prospects. You're slated to have $135 million in cap space next year. Jesus. That can be more if they move on from Deion Jones. They only have like 20 players under contract for next season. So what you're looking at next year is Jake Matthews, mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts, mm-hmm. AJ Terrell, mm-hmm. the kicker that you just re-signed, and whatever quarterback you pick in the top five next year. Yeah. That is the start of this rebuild That's and right. whatever you end up doing with Calvin Ridley. So it's it's easy to say, well, man, they really missed out not picking a quarterback last year. But that was under the assumption that they were going to have Matt Ryan for the rest of this time, that they were going to be competitive. Tearing it down now Next year is when you can really jumpstart this rebuild because you're going to have a very, very high pick and an awful roster this year. <laughs> awful roster. The only other one I throw on there is Chris Lindstrom's not bad. The, yes, but Chris Lindstrom is a good but, one. But, yes. that's, but, but that's, I'm talking about guys they've committed to or drafted like in the but, last two years and that's, of this regime. But that's it. And that's like, we're not even talking about blue chippers. We're just talking about tangible players. Players on the team. That's yes. it. And that, yeah, it's a nuke situation. I mean, really it is. Now, I mean, I don't think they would, but because of the Mariota stuff, Mariota makes so much sense. Like I actually would have liked him for the Colts if they struck out on everybody like that. It's funny how these these musical chairs have worked out, but it's like he makes sense. I, I'm kind of curious about him going with Arthur Smith. Like okay, that before he they benched him, which is also kind of a funny thing how these all these things work and how everything kind of rectifies as you, as you give it time. Listen, but it's about what you're trying to accomplish. Yes. If you're trying to be a playoff team and win some games like Tennessee was. I think benching him makes sense. If you're trying to be very bad and just wanting a functional human at that spot this year, totally fine with me. (laughs) By all accounts, a great guy. Yeah. Right? Like everyone loves him. You want a presence where like the young guys are not going to be an asshole, a quarterback, somebody that's going to set a good example. It's little things like that. These are tiny incremental steps here for the Falcons over the next year. (laughs) That's what it is, man. Oh, they better be Atlanta United fans uh, to live in that stadium a little bit. But, you know, a quarterback situation right now. Like, really, Willis and Ritter, only two I would take a chance on. Willis is getting, like, top three hype now, so I think he's going to be long gone by the time they select this year. Talking about next year, you got Stroud, uh, CJ Stroud from uh, Ohio State, and Bryce Young from Alabama. I like Stroud, but then you got the Will Le- Will Levis from Kentucky is the other one. But that's, like, that's the thing. It's, like, now it's fun for Falcons fans because I'm just throwing out some names that they might want to take a look at. But there's no reason to reach this year. Nope. There's no reason to say, like, we need to find one nope. this year. Like it just, just like how the Steelers be- did it, went about it. They went with me or with freaking uh, 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 Trubisky, but it's like same thing. So now it's like they don't need to take a guy. Now it's what? like the Steelers are going to be too good, though. Yeah, like the Steelers are going to be eight. too good. If you like a guy this year in your Pittsburgh, I don't think you can bank on the fact that you're going to be picking in the top five next year like you can with Atlanta. Yeah, because the Steelers came into this offseason with a lot of cap space, right? Yep. They could add some pieces. They've created a competitive football team. Atlanta, by no fault of Terry Fontenot no. or Arthur Smith's, is not in a position to be competitive. They never were really going to be. Yeah. So you don't have to pick a guy because you're going to be in a really good position in a very good quarterback draft next year, potentially. Yeah. So this is it. Like It was a two-year blow-up process. Mm-hmm. The, they've hit the stick of that. Like they've pushed down on the plunger. Yep. The, the explosion has happened. And now what is it going to look like when you try to pick up the pieces over the next year? And Being really, really bad this year, as long as your owner is okay with that and yep. you understand the expectations going in, I think is a totally acceptable plan. It's And it's not the same situation, but it's funny how Matt Ryan leaves the Falcons, not any fault of his own. <laughs> he was just being a good quarterback there, how he came into that, that Falcons franchise, which was an absolute shit show when he got there. This was after the Vic dogfighting scandal, post-Bobby Petrino. They had a new GM, new head coach, all this stuff. And he made them so respectable. Him, Thomas Dimitrov, and Mike Smith, that little trio in Atlanta. Like really just it jump started the whole franchise back into going like it could have been bad for years and years and years. Very quickly they went right back into being like a kind of a potential good, good team, like a team of respect for a while. And Matt Ryan led that charge because he's the type the type of guy that does that. And so it's kind of he's such a likable, he's such a good guy. He really is. It, it's it's Colts fans are gonna freaking love him. But it's just it's it kind of sucks for Falcons fans because 
he meant a lot to that city, a lot to that team. He was the steady presence, all these changes that were happening. His literal first pass was an 80-yard touchdown for the Falcons, if you remember that. It was awesome. 80-yard touchdown. Boom. First pass is a Falcon. So, to Michael Jenkins? I think that's right. That sounds about right. Yeah. that would be, That's a great call. I can remember the play. It was like a post route. Uh, it might have been like Mills or something, but hits the bomb, post route, touchdown. First throw is a Falcon, but Matt Ryan did a lot for that team and a lot for that wow, franchise. Look at, look at me go. Was it Michael Jenkins? 62-yard touchdown oh. pass to Michael Jenkins with 13-33 left in the first quarter in his first game. First game. Michael first Turner first. had a 66-yard touchdown run in that game as well. That was a great that was signing touchdown they when had. he went to the Falcons. Yeah, he bumped Great signing. It great was. signing. That was in an era where you could really give big money to a yeah. free agent running back and have it be okay for you. And everyone loved it. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, exec of the year. But it's what I just can't understand what Matt did for, for the Falcons. So it, it, it kind of sucks for Falcons fans to let him go. But, you know, that Band-Aid had to be ripped off at some point, and today was the day. I think there are a lot of similarities to this situation and the situation with Matthew Stafford and the Lions last year, Yes, right? And obviously, this doesn't fetch the same price because <laughs> Matthew Stafford is younger and has more in the tank and the physical gifts and everything else. But it's it, a lot of similarities when you think about when it's time to move on, when it's time to hit the reset button. The Lions did theirs last year. Yep. They're paying Jared Goff $30 million instead of giving Marcus Mario to nothing, which we could talk about the <laughs> wisdom in that if we want to. But it's also both of those guys spend a decade plus yep. being, you know how hard it is to be a pretty good NFL quarterback for 10 straight years where your presence consistently makes your offense functional and relevant year in and year out. Those are the guys that we just don't appreciate enough. Yeah. It's we obviously you love the Hall of Famers and the guys that are going to be all time great players. And these quarterbacks played in the same era as those guys. Mm-hmm. Like they're, They will always be compared. Matt Ryan played in the same division as Drew Brees yeah. for over a decade. And that's always how it's going to be. They're going to be compared to those guys and the Brady's and the Manning's and the Rogers's. But to be that sort of presence for an organization for that long is so, so hard. And it should be celebrated. And those are the guys that are easy to forget, the Matt Ryan's and the Stafford's. And Stafford had his moment, right? Mm -hmm. He's gotten to a place where we're going to really appreciate him in a slightly different way. And Ryan's career is different. You know, his... His version of that almost feels like that 2016 season yeah. where he had that moment where he's the MVP of the league and we got to see him in really good circumstances when he's surrounded by the right players, what he could be. But those are just guys that I feel like go underappreciated and we don't really comprehend how difficult it is to maintain that level of consistency year in and year out. It's hard to do any job consistently <laughs> for, for a decade and he's being a, oh yeah, just a borderline pro bowler quarterback throwing for 4,000 yards like it's nothing every single year it doesn't matter what the whole line is doesn't matter what his receivers are although he had a couple good ones doesn't matter what his defense is made a competitive every single year that was the thing for the Falcons was they didn't bottom out that much only for a couple of years before Dan Quinn came in it was like they were always in that realm of wild card compete for the division every single year so that's really hard to do and it always starts with the quarterback and that's what Matt Ryan did and yeah, like you said, it is very hard to be that consistent for that long and have the the highs that he did as well, like winning an MVP. Yeah, they went four and twelve in 2013 and six and ten in 2014. Yep. Near the the, the end of the Matt, of Mike, Mike Smith. Smith era. But I mean before that, I mean his first, Matt Ryan's first like seven years there. It's like eleven 10. and five, nine and seven, thirteen and three, ten and six, thirteen and three. Yep. Oh wait, through two thousand twelve. Those are fun teams. Yeah. Tony Gonzalez, Roddy White, like those were those are teams that I enjoyed watching. Yeah. And it's just really? yeah, young Julio right there. I mean, again, Matt Ryan is just somebody that had has had a lot of really, really good moments and we'll see what happens. We'll see what the kind of second I guess last act, not second act, the last act of his career looks like in what I think are pretty good circumstances. You have Michael Pittman. We'll see what else they do with those pass catching spots. The offensive line is better than what he's played with, and he's got a pretty good play caller. So I think both him and the Colts are in a pretty decent spot when you consider where they might have been a week ago. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. All right. So the fallout now that's still on the horizon with quarterbacks, there is a little bit of it. Where the hell does Baker Mayfield go now? Uh, Seahawks or Panthers, apparently. <laughs> like, who else is there? I mean, like, Saints just signed Jameis, so. I mean, it feels like for with Baker, you could get him for nothing. They're, because the Browns are motivated to get out of that deal. They need to trade him to save that money. Yeah. I mean, if I were a team, if I were Seattle, and I liked Baker even a little bit, Late round pick swap. I'll give yeah. you. you we'll, we'll trade sixth rounders if you when we'll take them off your hands. Yeah, I mean that's the type of the. I, I mean that feels like the type of offer that they might be, have to make to do that. The fact that Wentz went for what he went and like Baker's getting talked about going like like they're saying like oh you're gonna their Browns are gonna have to like package a pick with him to get rid of him. It's like holy shit! Like that there aren't that many seats left. Yeah, I mean I, especially after the Saints signed Jameis Winston, two years, twenty eight million. That makes sense. That's like a low, low, low level starter level money for Jameis, which I think that marriage and that partnership, when you consider all the alternatives, was always the most likely one if they missed out on Watson. So now you really just have the Panthers and the Seahawks are the only two teams left that could use veteran quarterbacks. Am I missing anybody? I, I've been, I was trying to think those are only two I came up with too. And it really looks like the Panthers are preferring Kenny Pickett in the draft because they had like their whole personnel there. They had like him showing his hand size to Bob McAdoo and showing how he held the ball. And I was like, oh, God, could you guys show that you like a guy that much more? And it seems like there's whispers that Seahawks might like Willis. So I don't know. And that would, and that's a situation where it's, say they do get Willis, I think at whether they have pick nine because of the Broncos pick. Okay, say they do that. I don't think Willis will be there. But say they, they are. And then you'd want Baker as a stopgap. Like to lead him because Baker has such a big personality. He'll say, F you. No, I'm the starter now. So that's that's a whole headache that they probably don't want to deal with. It's it's strange. It's strange. Like it really is. Not it's just like trying to we're figure out. We're out of spots. We're out of spots. Like, it's, it's amazing how fast that happened. Eight weeks and ago, with Garoppolo, four weeks ago, we we're talking about how many guys might need quarterbacks, a dozen teams. And it's like now we can barely even scratch two together. The, the Browns are motivated to trade Baker because that's the way they save the money. Yeah. The Niners, we could get to a place where they just have to release him. I mean, yeah, they're they're not on the hook for anything else. I mean, to think about the company line and what they were trying to sell pretty recently is that they had two second round picks as an offer for Garoppolo. In hand. I'm not sure who's doing that right now. In hand was the quote, <laughs> which I don't I don't really see that market <laughs> at this point in time. It's amazing how fast it all changes. But so I mean, it's something to keep an eye on here over the next however long. All right. Yeah. So earlier today on The Athletic, <laughs> Jason Jenks and Mike Sando put out a story about just the awful, awful anecdotes from the Urban Meyer tenure in Jacksonville. Did you have a favorite moment for, from the Urban Meyer story that, was, that ran today? It's some that we already knew. I would say going around apologizing to each position room always cracks me up after he didn't go home after the Bengals game. Like that one, that one cracks me up because going around to each position room and then like an hour later, like the, the video came out and they all realized he was lying to their face. Like that was that was a chef's kiss kind of one because that's just unheard over the NFL, NFL offices. <laughs> I just love that he was just shitting on the scouts when they were in the room, in the room. or talking about how he was going to fire coaches in front of the players. I mean, it's just, I know I don't, I don't understand how you could ever believe you could get away with that in a world where the, the players are making more than you. Not even that the players get paid mm -hmm. that those guys are like, 
they're really compensated. Yeah. It's just such a wild belief that you can roll in there and act like that and have it be okay. Do we really believe that he didn't know who Aaron Donald was? I don't think so. That one, that one, maybe D like him not knowing who D Bill Samuel was, was one. I actually could see that one, but Aaron Donald, come on, man. Like you have to be under living under a stone for, for half a decade to not know that one. It's it's the NFL though is like so it's full, I mean football in general is filled with alpha males it's I mean it's what it is that's how sports is but it's just and all of them have different ways how how they show how they try to prove that but once you get to the NFL all these players care about it's what tool are you going to give me that's going to help me that's all that matters how are you going to help me be good at my job and how are you going to help us win that's all they care about it, Mike it, McDaniel said that to me once um, he was talking about just the the feeling on the Niners staff. Because Kyle didn't play in the NFL. Yeah. And he felt a real obligation every single day to prove to players, this is how I can make your job easier. Yes. And that mindset permeated the staff there. And that's how they approach their jobs. And I think that there's a reason that they've gotten a lot out of those players and that they've really developed stars in-house there. And you've seen them be successful year in and year out. And it's why I'm interested to see how the Dolphins do. During the Mike McDaniel era because of that exact mindset and that exact approach. It's not a coincidence that those teams that go at it like that ultimately end up succeeding where you have staffs that feel like we want player feedback. You talk about like how it is with the Rams and what the environment feels like there. And just how the dialogue that's constant between those two sides where you're soliciting input and there's a modicum of respect between those two. That shit is real. Like You need that in order to maintain a level of success in the NFL. And this is just so far on the other side of it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's not urban, but just talking about like other places when you get assistance that come from successful places. It's so funny to me how like these coaches and these staff members will – they take the wrong lessons from maybe some of these tougher coaches and they're like, oh, that's how I have to be. But it's like, yeah, you might see the, out, the outside aggressiveness that maybe, oh, this coach is a yeller. But usually a lot of the good coaches that I know that are yellers, including my dad, um, is that they will put your arm around you right after and go like, hey, this is why I got on you because of this, this, and this. You yeah. treat them like a freaking pro like because you guys are all professional football players and professional coaches. This is a job. It's not uh, – some of you guys come from college – and they think they could just yell at a guy with no repercussions. These guys will tell you straight to your face, go fuck yourself. <laughs> they will <laughs> say it to you. And it's a lot of these college coaches that I've been around. And I know I'm a younger guy, but even as a kid, you get around these guys that come from college and they're rah-rah, which energy guys are fine. Everyone has a different way of coaching. Energy guys are fine. And I know that we're not talking about Urban. Urban's more of an aggressive coach about you know competition. But I was, when I was there in camp and I, and I was there for one day. Yeah. And I saw some of the drills. I was like, there's no way. Yeah. They, there's, you, there's just no way. You can't it lasts. I mean, just watching a guy the, during a defensive line drill, just screaming in can't. the guy's faces for like seven straight minutes. Like, there's no way. It doesn't work. It, you just can't do this. It doesn't work. Even coaches, there are coaches that are hard, that are like hard-ass coaches. Like Andy Reid is notorious mm-hmm. for the way their training camp goes. There's not a lot of screaming Correct. players' faces going on at Chiefs practices. You're working. It's a, yes. it's, it's a given it's a job. Take. It's a job. It's a job. Like the best coaches I've ever been around. They laid out for you. I mean, you've been on Peloton sometimes, right? <laughs> Once or twice you've been on Peloton. <laughs> Aren't the best instructors the one to go, all right, here we go. 30 seconds, hard, hard, hard. But you know what you're getting into. And then they go, okay, we'll ease back for 30. It's any, that's what the best coaching is. Yes, you can get hard on guys, but it's a give and take. It's not yeah. college where you can just grind these guys into the dirt. High school where you just go, where else are you going to go? Like, what else you got? Like, oh, you don't want to play when you have a rolled ankle, a sprained ankle? Yeah, guess what? We'll play your backup. Like, we don't care. What are you going to do? Transfer? Here, NFL, those guys go, I got a hurt ankle. Guess what? I'm in a contract here. I ain't practicing. Guess what? As a coach, what you have to do? Adapt and work with those guys. Every guy has to be coached fairly, but every guy has to be coached different. And I think that's what Urban seems like a guy that's he has one way of coaching. And I mean, that's what all these stories or even leading as a as a with the other coaches. He has one method and he doesn't understand the NFL. You have to have 20 different methods because every personality, that's what being a coach is. You're a C, we want to say a CEO type. Being a CEO is handling these personalities. But I've had tough bosses, but but there's a fine line between tough and demanding and being an asshole. <laughs> like that's that's really what it is. So this leads us to a conversation I wanted to have last week. All right. We've fired off plenty of jokes about the Jags free agent yeah. plan. 
I want to talk about what they're really trying to accomplish with the way that they've built this thing. I'm going to put you in a tough spot here. I want you to explain the thought process here potentially of what they're trying to do, how they're trying to put this thing together, and why in some world the moves that they've made potentially make sense in totality. They need players. And that's like the number one thing I'll just start with. We we know they need I'll just start with the pass catchers. We talk about the Bengals a whole bunch because they made a nice run and saying, hey, they gotta go from below average offensive line to average. And that'll that'll be a fine. That's an improvement. They did more than that. We'll talk about it. But same kind of thing with the Jags, especially with their pass catchers, receivers, and tight ends. Is they needed guys. They they truly needed bodies. Anybody that's an improvement over what they had last year. I mean, they're Laquan Treadwell. And I mean, I think they actually resigned Laquan Treadwell. It's for like a million dollars. Yeah, I know, but it's still, but like a guy like that. They need the guys that are actually like have upside and tangibleness to them. So that is what they are, how they're looking at it like this. They're just like, we just need starters as opposed to just stars trying to sign that. The problem, like a guy like Christian Kirk, this is, this is kind of like the epitome of all of it. I think he's, I, I like Christian Kirk. I think, but he's a slot only guy. He made more sense to a team that I thought was maybe a cherry on top. Already a good offense, add him, push us over to the top, make us a top three offense. I think for him, he's going to be useful, but it's a guy that he's 26. He has a skill that's useful. He can work from the slot. He operates shorter deep, but it's an overpay for a luxury player. And that's where I think a lot of these things with the Jaguars did. It's a lot of luxury players. And that's where I maybe have some of my qualms. Big money for an off-ball linebacker. Big money for a, a nose plugger, even though I like Fatikasi. Um, big money for a Christian Kirk, who's a slot only type of guy, a F only tight end, Evan Ingram. I know they only give him 8 million guaranteed, but there's opportunity costs for all that. But I think the argument is, and if you're as the Jaguars team is they, they just needed players, especially on offense that can start for them and make Trevor at least look the area around him look competent. And I think that's the argument for these moves that did. I can go one by one a while that was smart or dumb, but <laughs> in totality, that's why I think it really is, is that they're like, we we need to go from the shit receiver to at least average or above average or good if they think that. They have, I, I want to say three top 70 picks because they got a third rounder from Carolina for CJ Henderson last year. Who boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm sitting here I'm sitting here looking at Tankathon right now. Okay. Oh, no. The Panthers have the sixth pick yep. because they were a bad football team last year. Mm-hmm. They're giving the 38th pick to the Jets yep. in the Sam Darnold deal. And they're giving the 70th pick to Jacksonville. Yep. In the CJ Henderson trade. It, it's just it's truly remarkable. And they're giving a fourth round pick to the Jets. The 111th see, pick is also going back to the Jets. Did you see Darnold requested a trade too? Because he has all that, he has all the clout to be able to do that. <laughs> anyway, it's all right. Mess. So, it's a you mess. have three top seventy picks. Yeah, and we know there are receivers in every single draft. And I think it's, that's my only thing is that eight million dollars for Zay Jones. And when you look at the cap space and all of that, it, it probably doesn't really matter. But do we really want to have committed any sort of money to Zay Jones and take away no. reps from whoever you're going to ultimately end up drafting? And that's the problem is that when you cycle between all of these different regimes, this regime has no ties to LaVisca Chenault. Nope. So he's on a cheap rookie deal. You drafted him fairly high. Now he's expendable. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to trade what LaVisca Chenault for a fifth round pick when you gave Zay Jones, $8 million a year. And you just get on this hamster wheel that's terrible for you. And that's the problem is that ultimately at a certain point, they need to get off the hamster wheel. The problem is they kept a GM that was tied to whatever version of the roster he helped build last year. And now you're having a arranged marriage between a new coach and a GM that you held onto for reasons that are still unclear. So it's just, there is no alignment between the regimes because you didn't even try to make that a thing. Yeah. So it's just it's difficult to understand exactly what they're trying to do, but I'm just I'm trying to like be more open-minded about yeah. it where you're stepping back and like, "All right, what is the plan here?" Yeah. And I can understand they paid a ton for Christian Kirk, but if you think, "All right, we need real receivers, we need a professional pass catcher to put around our young guy." Obviously, we set, handed out a record-setting deal for Brandon Scherf to we reset the market at that position. Well, you need to protect the quarterback that you drafted first overall. There's a really good chance that by the time you're going to have to hand out new contracts or extend anybody that you drafted, these deals are going to be off the books anyway. But then you just look at how it ultimately plays into the other moves that they've made. 
where does Travis Etienne fit into all of this? Right. They used a first-round pick on Travis Etienne last year. Your haul for the Jalen Ramsey trade was Kalev and Chason in the, in the 2020 draft and Travis Etienne in last year's draft. Oof. Oof. And you just look at it, and you look at how all the pieces fit together, and that's how you enter into a world where you ultimately give these types of deals to Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, and it's just hard to understand how it's all supposed to be a cohesive way of building a team. Yeah, and I'm trying to like, – I started this segment trying to be positive about it, but like this is where my negativity with it too is – like you're you're hinting at too, is the opportunity costs. You're a team, they're nowhere near contending. Uh, like You have to be, have some self-awareness with your team as the Jagu- if you're running the Jaguars. Okay. Maybe get to that feisty wild card spot. Like that's the goal is being feisty. These teams that are rebooting their their franchise, I know they already got the number one pick, but really restarting the roster. I think it's always a great opportunity to sign middle class guys or upper middle class guys that maybe we take a chance on sign for those cheap one two year deals and maybe we get something out of them. That's what I think you're in the perfect opportunity to do. Not sign for a Zay Jones. Yes, again, you're not breaking the bank for him, but. We know what Zay Jones is. Like we know everybody, I think in the NFL knows what Zay Jones is. He's a number three, number four type, outside only kind of guy. Um, I just the Jaguars did like the opposite. It's not a great. It wasn't a great free agent class for receivers. It's a loaded receiver class uh, for the draft class, and they have the picks to take advantage of it. And so now you got Zay Jones playing for you because now you now you talk yourselves into going. We don't have to take a receiver on day two. Now we now we don't ha- we already have our guy, so we'll just take a day three guy. Now you get now you're costing Trevor Lawrence with chemistry and reps with a young receiver. Trent Balky also fucking sucks at drafting receivers, so maybe this was some self awareness that he was like, I can't handle it, so I'm just going to sign guys. So maybe with that, but take a middle tier guy, take a chance on Byron Pringle, um, trying to keep DJ Chark, even though Balky for whatever reason hates him for so I don't get it. Um, instead, they lock down two years of Zay Jones, the one that kind of gets me. It's not it's a one year deal, so it's not crazy. It's whatever, but this is kind of like. Their line of thinking is what gets me is they sign Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is fine. He, he's a vertical guy. He can't block to save his life. I've been waiting for him to make a block since he's entered the NFL. He's an F only tight end who operates basically from the slot or the wing. Who's their number one free agent that you just signed? Christian Kirk, who works from the slot on vertical to intermediate routes, which is what Evan Ingram is best at. So now if you go 12, you split up Evan Ingram. Now you got Christian Kirk on the outside. Okay, I guess you can do some number trip stuff that can make them work, but I don't know. You're just again, you're just punching yourself in the nuts with all this. And I think Ingram, when you take a retread like that because he's a luxury player, again, that's a type of move that a good team with a good offense takes a chance on. Not a rebuilding team trying to find pieces that they can maybe find under you know under the radar, but get an OJ Howard if you're going to go down the retread market. That's the exact comparison I was going to make. The Bills signed OJ Howard for three million, $3 million. dollars. The Jacks signed Evan Ingram for $8 million. I understand there's an injury concern, all that stuff. Yeah, but, but it just, if you're going to take a dice roll, yeah. it, it, take a dice roll for half the money. And get a guy that can block. Like, yeah. it's like that, like Howard has more down to down usefulness than Ingram does. So it's already, because now you need a wide tight end to go with Ingram. Like, I don't know, you're just, you're creating new holes by where you're trying to fill one hole. It's, it's a, a sinking ship. Like, it's just, and on top of that, why don't you go for a guy like Tyler Conklin? who signed for not that much. Uh, they haven't come out the numbers, but it's not going to be that much with the Jets. Is he sexy? No, but he's useful. He can play 40 snaps for you, 45 snaps. He can play all three downs. So that's the type of line, like the line of thinking. It's more like, no, we're going to just get the speed guy. I don't know. It's redundant. And I just think there's better options if you're going to shop down that aisle. And I just think that's what the Jags did and why I got kind of a little frustrated with them. The way it all ties in together is this is why bad teams stay bad. Yeah. Right, you move out from the Urban Meyer disaster, and it's like, oh God, thank God that's over. Yeah. But then you look at what's happened over the last week, and it's like there is still no vision no. for how all of this stuff is supposed to fit together. None. And you had Balky come out last week and say, "Well, I hope we never have to do this again." It's like, you doing this increases the likelihood that you will eventually have to do this again. Yep. I mean, it just this stuff begets more bad decision making, and yep. that's the problem here. We tried to justify all the moves that they made, and we just horribly failed over the last 10 minutes i lasted so. two i lasted two minutes i you know christian kirk's gonna be useful i think that's what we got uh, listen i'm not asking you to say something you don't believe so we're totally <laughs> fine 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, a few little news items here to kind of tie this all up, some things that have happened since the last time we recorded. Lyle Collins to the Bengals, uh, what amounts to, I think, a two-year, $20 million deal based on the reporting. Great. The Bengals have done a really good job. That was good. <laughs> I mean, it's all we wanted. All we wanted. It reminds me, there's a scene from uh, in Parks and Rec where they're having the Galentine's Day, and Leslie invites like random people to the thing. She's just like, honestly, we just needed bodies. Like that's how. That's, that's exactly how I feel about the Bengals offseason when it comes to their offensive line. And a playoff Collins is better than a body. You know, yeah. to get him for ten million dollars a year when you consider his background, best case scenario that for we've them. Seen him at it's really really good. Yeah. And you look at it now. I mean, they're in a position where they can do anything. They, they can do anything in the draft. Like Let's say they don't want Jackson Carmen to be one of their other starting guards. They take another dice roll on an interior offensive lineman. They can do so many different things. They went, went out and got Hayden Hurst on a cheap deal mm-hmm. to replace whatever they were going to get from C.J. Uzama. Totally understand that as a move. I mean, just they've done a very good job over the last season and a half, two seasons in free agency in the way that they've kind of helped build this team and supplement what the value that they're getting from the Joe Burrow contract. I loved that Lyle Collins went over to Burrow's house and like hung out the other night as part of sealing the deal. Like it just, it is amazing when you hear Von Miller talk about wanting to go to Buffalo because of Josh Allen. When you hear stories like that, when you have that guy, it it changes everything. It does. It changes everything about who you are as a franchise. We talk about why bad teams stay bad. That's how good teams can stay good. Yeah. Is that you have this momentum and this gravity that's created by having that guy in the building. And that's the feel that the Bengals have right now. Yeah. And God, that, that offense is going to be so much scarier there because they're improving the line from terrible to, I mean, even if you're a pessimist above average, like yeah. it's, it's, I mean, top 12 ish line. Like, I mean, that's huge improvement from bottom four to this. Uh, I, I, I like it a lot. I, I really do. The coaches have no excuses now for what they want to run on offense. So we've ever seen Joe getting after it. Um, you know, I, I think Lyle Collins too, he, he's no matter what, he's a good tier starter and that's such a huge improvement for them. And he's had injury stuff, whatever it's, I mean, but whatever he's good. And it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be nice for them. Um, also defensively bring back Eli Apple, they tag Jesse Bates. They prioritize signing BJ Hill. They've had a good off season. And I, I think exactly what you said about the end of the first round. Now, now it's not like squinting 
and maybe drafting a tackle that shouldn't be drafted in the end of the first. It's like, now it's like, oh, we can get this position. We can get whatever they tap as about probably front seven or maybe corner, you know, now they can tap a different type of guy. And I, I really like it. Yeah. So good job by the Bengals. Just not, I just didn't think they had it in them. So, you know what I mean? Like just as a franchise and it's like, no, they, they do have it in them. It's another off season signing some good guys. I mean, instead of giving Brandon Scherf $16.5 million a year, you sign three offensive linemen for a little bit more than a team is going to play, pay Brandon Scherf. And I think that's a kind really good to lesson to it. learn from some of the successes and failures they've had over the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, to get Lyle Collins a day before you cut Trey Waynes and you, you think about the process of those types of free agents, I think is a pretty telling outcome. It reminds me in some ways, if you look at it, the way that the Chargers rebuilt their offensive line last offseason, mm-hmm. and I think it's just such an indicator that th- when you have that rookie quarterback contract, how quickly you can do some of this stuff. Where you can, like, the Chargers and the Bengals, they're going to be linked forever, right? Yeah. Because Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are in the same draft. We're always going to talk about that. Think It's almost like their offseasons were flipped. Last year, the Chargers tried to rebuild their entire offensive line and did a pretty darn good job of doing it in the first offseason under Brandon Staley. This offseason, the Chargers rebuilt their defense with that excess money. They went out and got Khalil Mack. They got J.C. Jackson doing everything we want them to do. Interior defensive linemen on those mid-tier contracts. And now you look at the Chargers roster and it's like, all right, I can talk myself into this. Got Gerald Everett. We'll see what happens with their right tackle situation as the market starts to unfold. The Bengals are the opposite. They remade their defense last offseason, and then this offseason, they remade their offensive line with the excess value that they get from having a quarterback on a rookie contract. So when you have that flexibility and you keep your cap clean, you can do a lot in individual offseasons. You can rebuild the team essentially in two years. Yeah. It takes two years to rebuild your team. And I think both of them are pretty darn good examples of how fast that can happen. And I, it always comes back to what's the most important thing. Get that quarterback. <laughs> it's just like, hey, oh, we're set there. Okay, now we can figure out what actual weaknesses are. Like that's actually – because now it's like, well, he might not be good because the quarterback doesn't get rid of the ball. It's like, no, you got two studs at that position or cheap deals. So it's like, okay, now exactly what you said. Now you just have all those options to be able to do all that. And now we talk about windows and windows and windows. They got a great window. Like they know what their window is because they know what those deals are going to be for the next two years. It's it's very nice. You can see the repercussions of hitting on the quarterback more than anything. Going back to the our, our conversation we were having earlier about the Falcons, I think that's a point in their favor when you're talking about why they didn't draft a quarterback mm. last year. Because now you'd be going into year three of Justin Fields after the season, and you'd have to start this process that the Bengals have just been going through over the last two years. Mm-hmm. I think it's having that stretch where you have some resources to build around that guy. We've seen the advantages of that. And yes. I think both the Bengals and the Chargers have taken a huge advantage of it. Absolutely. Last thing I wanted to hit here, podcast favorite, Robert Woods. Yeah. Traded to the Titans for a six-round pick. This is a financial move. I yeah. mean, it's at a certain point, you can't pay that many receivers. And this he was the odd man out there. I think it makes a ton of sense for Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, when you think consider his skill set, what they needed, what they had to pay to go get him, and they signed Austin Hooper as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the Titans have done a decent job of figuring out and navigating whatever this era is for them. You know, they're in a tough spot with the, the contracts they've handed out, but I do think that they've done a really good job of kind of quietly improving and working on their team over the last couple off seasons. Yeah, Robert Woods makes more stylistic sense than Julio Jones ever did. Like yeah, for what they are, totally. which is so funny to think of, but it, it, it synergy matters. It really does, especially for, you know, what you run on offense here in nights with Todd Downing, Rob Moore, they were with him in Buffalo Robert, with Robert Woods in Buffalo. And just, yeah, the personality makes sense. Robert Woods is one of the toughest receivers in the league. I mean, what do the Titans want to be? They want to be bullies. And so Robert Woods makes sense for them. I, I love it. I, I really, I really like that move. And I like the, the Hooper move. They needed help at tight end. And Cooper does everything well, you know, like he, that's what he does. Like he's, he's not great at anything, but he just does everything kind of well. Um, it was a glaring need for them. Oh my like God. A glaring need for them. It's, their roster's so weird though. Like going over the Titans. Titans roster is kind of, it's weird. It's good in some senses, weird in the other senses. Why weren't the Chargers calling about Hooper? I actually would have liked that fit for them. That, that one was, that one's kind of. What do you think about Gerald Everett there going to the Chargers? I'm not a big fan of Gerald Everett. I, I think another F only type. Um, and not trustworthy. Like he can create the explosive play, but down to down sense, I, I don't like him as much because I don't think the Chargers need that type of guy. I, I think they need more of a steady presence at the at the Y position or the F position. So one more thing to hit on, and 
connection with the Robert Woods trade. Matthew Stafford gets a new extension, mm-hmm. essentially three years, like $43 million per year is how it ultimately shakes out. Cap hits of 13.5 this year and 20 million next year. And then it jumps to 49.5 in 2024. So the window is Rams trying to pry <laughs> that thing open as much as possible <laughs> with this extension. Matthew Stafford will cross the $300 million mark in career earnings. God. He will pass Matt Ryan for third among active players after Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Wow. Good for you, Matthew Stafford. Right. And now he's an 18. He's he's neck and neck with Rodgers. Rodgers is like 305 after this year. Rodgers is going to keep doing some work here over the next couple of years. (laughs) And now now uh, Stafford's gotten that LA bump. He's in AT&T commercials. You know, like good for him. Like that's. Hey, it was it was it's been a good year. It's been a good year for Matthew Stafford. A good good career, actually, in a monetary sense for Matthew Stafford. And I hope that Matt Ryan can have a little bit of a late career bump for himself as well. Now that he's getting into some new digs. All right. That's all we got. As always, guys, thank you very much for listening. Just a heads up, now that we're out of the free agent craziness over the last week or so, our off-season cadence is gonna look a little bit different. We're gonna try to do shows on Tuesday. Thursday and Friday with our draft show with Dane Brugler and Lance Zerline still running on Wednesdays. If you guys have not listened to that, I highly recommend you go check it out. We're going to be going on that schedule up through the draft is our plan right now. We're obviously always subject to change, but that is how we're going to try to attack this. So do not be looking for new podcasts on Monday morning. We're going to put this out on Monday evening because it's news heavy, but the plan right now is to not have new shows for you on Monday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, up through the draft. If you guys have not listened to our Deshaun Watson podcast from Friday with Lindsay Jones, Lindsay did a fantastic job while I was otherwise tied up talking to Mike Sando and to react to the deal. And then the conversation she had with the New York times, own Jenny Varentis and Aaron Reese from the athletic who covers the Texans for us really hits on every single aspect of the Deshaun Watson situation, the allegations, the trade. We we tried to give you a well-rounded look at everything that was happening there as the news came down. So if you guys have not checked that out, I would highly recommend you go listen to that right now. We will be back later this week. Tomorrow, Dane and Lance will be bringing their draft coverage to you. As always, guys, really appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.